I will remember you. Will you remember me? Don't let your life pass you by. You're right, Harry. How are you doing? Hello, everybody. Welcome to Big on the Inside, the new who dot two watched on podcast. Uh, a little secret. Watch on podcast. <laughs> I sometimes push that record button and it's almost like walking onto a, a stage and I suddenly get stage fright and I don't know what to do and I know I can't just sort of mumble around it. I've got to do something. So for some reason, I decided to sing you a little song. If this is your first episode, welcome. Um, because it might be some people's first. Sorry. Uh, hi, Harry. How are you? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. You know, next time, you know, if we're doing songs, uh, not, not to brag, but uh, I, uh, I've been trained. So, uh, you know, if you want an actual musical number to sing, oh, I'm a trained nah. singer. Well, nah. actor singer. Hate, no, you I don't hate... want you don't want actual training. <laughs> I hate forced like. I'll be careful. I won't, I won't say names, but um, we have mutual friends, and I have been to parties with said mutual friends, where a guitar has been brought for the intention of it being played. At oh the end no, of the night. I'm. I'm not one of those like you know you know one of those. So and so, who like whips out the guitar and starts doing today is gonna be the day I'm gonna throw it back to you. I'm not, I'm not one of those wonderful guitar guys. No, but it's I like, don't know I, how to play yeah, guitar. It's like I know it's gonna happen because I turn up at my friend's house and then this other person turns up who doesn't live too far away. And then I know around about one o'clock in the morning, they're gonna be like, Oh, I'm just gonna head back and get my guitar, we can have a jam. And as somebody who doesn't play an instrument and enjoys to sing but as just recently proven can't sing um you instantly outcasted i think it's it would be the equivalent of me going oh hold on guys i'm just going to do a podcast with harry which we talk about 42 or something like that <laughs> it would be so weird do, do, do you know do, do you know um do you know what the song is that they always whip out do you know the um, song in Ice Age and Matilda? You know the down, 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 down. It's yeah. always that one. It's always, <laughs> I would like to hold <laughs> that one. If you are it's the person bringing guitars to parties, you, oh my this, God. Is, this is your um, warning. I'm, sorry. Sorry. Um, as I started singing, this, I got a Zoom notification saying, are you playing music? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, well, that didn't appear for me earlier it's a bit rude but yeah, yeah if you are... I, it's because i'm trained tim it's because i'm trained <laughs> um, i do <laughs> promise that this is a dot two podcast i do promise uh, but that was a pre-warning for anybody i feel like we should start each week now with like a warning a type of person that society doesn't like but they need to be told if you are the person bringing guitars to a party stop it anyway there might be new listeners, Harry, this week because um, I recently found out. And if you are a new listener, um, welcome. Apologies for taking so long to get to Dot Two News, but there is some good, exciting Dot Two News coming up. Uh, but there may be new listeners because last week I announced that we were now available on Spotify. So thank you to everybody if you've bothered to follow us and uh, give a listen over on Spotify, as well as iTunes. We're still there, leave us a five star review and all that. But we are also now available to listen to on Google Podcasts as well, which is the android um equivalent of itunes or uh, apple Podcasts. so um if you've got a friend it's like every week mm. every week we're on a new platform 
Well, I believe that we actually went on Google Podcasts last week is when we went up there, but I wasn't made aware of it until after the episode had gone up. So it wasn't until a few days ago that I realised we were out on Google Podcasts as well. So if you've got a friend who's been listening to the podcast on YouTube or you've just been playing in the car or you've got a friend who you think would really enjoy a Doctor Who themed podcast, then definitely and send them over. We're now available on, I think we're on about 10 different podcast hosting sites. So there's no excuse. Do you think there are people, you think people actually like that? You're like, hey, you should check out like Tim and uh, the Bjorn inside. There's these guys called Tim and Harry. They're really fun guys. Do you know people that like, usually have that conversation in real life? I tend, I tend to get most of my podcasts um, from some recommendations, but some is finding one podcast and then just that host appearing on another one. So then I'll listen to that one and then you sort of just spider web outwards. Okay. So saying the, the next step for us is to start doing crossovers. Ah, well, one could be in the works. We, uh, I won't say no more, but there's been discussions. Uh, yes, yeah, so we're now available on Google Podcasts. All exciting stuff. Now, actual Doctor Who news. Um, Harry, what was one of my least favourite episodes from Doctor Who Series 2? Can you remember? Um, the Impossible Planet in the Satan Pit? Yeah, so I am really excited to announce that the character Zachary Crossflame, who was played by Sean Parks, I believe his name is, he is the lead guy, he's got like the cool hair, and um, he's like the leader of the team. You know who I mean, don't you? Is he the one who goes all satany and evil? No, he's not, but he's one of the only ones who survives at the end, and I think he's the one... Because at the end, in the, when Rose escapes, there is Rose, the Toby guy who goes mental. There is, like, I think there's, like, a guy with, like, silk black hair that's, like, really back. And then there's this other guy, Zachary Crossflame. I will send you a image of him in a second. But he is returning to Doctor Who via Big Finish in a new Torchwood... Um, Big Finisher, I do apologise. I'm just going to share my screen with Harry so Harry knows exactly who I'm on about. But yeah, I is he, would... Go on. Is he playing the same character that yes, he played in yes, Impossible Planet in the same pit? Yes. Yeah, Sean Parks is coming back and he's playing the same character. Um, I, but obviously he's one of only a few people who survived that episode. But I don't really know how I feel uh, about it. Uh, how does that work? Because that took place in like the distant future, didn't it? Did take place. Oh, yeah, it did actually, didn't it? Okay, so shall I read you the synopsis that so... Big Finish have released? In the far future of the Earth Empire, Torchwood is forgotten. So it's so it's a surprise when Zachary Cross Flane of the Torchwood Archive finds himself summoned to the opening of the late Empress L- Library? Library? L- L- Library, my apologies. Her son... Be- what? L-I-B-R-A-R-Y How are you pronouncing that? Yeah, that's library. library Empress Library, what a weird name Her son believes that the conspiracy Which deposed of his uh, Deposed his mother Is still active Deposed, what the heck does that word mean? I've never heard that word before, have you? Deposed Yeah, D-O-P-O-S-E-D Deposed Honestly, I can't say yeah. that I know what that means. Anyway, and at the key to the... Uh, yeah, anyway, it goes on, right? It doesn't It's very high-concept sci-fi stuff, yeah. Yeah, exactly, and it doesn't grab me. And I think, cool, they're bringing back these characters, or this character, but what's what's the point? Um, 
it's interesting. It's so it's not the torchwood that we know from the show. It's kind of far future torchwood. Oh, yeah. that guy. Yeah, I've I just got the image of the yeah, guy. Yeah. It's um, it's an idea. It's um, not something that I, as a Doctor Who viewer, is something I gravitate towards. To kind of, while I like Doctor Who, I don't like most sci-fi, and this kind of sounds like just kind of like a sci-fi story from the world of Doctor Who, but it's not really a Doctor Who-esque story. So, maybe I'm sure there is an audience who's interested in this type of high-concept sci-fi stuff, especially amongst big Finnish listeners. It's mm. not the kind of thing I would listen to. Yeah. Um, I'd be surprised if there's follow-ups, but maybe there's a bigger audience for this kind of content that I'm aware of. I, I think most people would have rather have had a big finish spin-off of that actual base from that episode. You know, before the Doctor and Rose arrived, what were they up to? What adventures did they have beforehand? That seems more exciting mm. rather than just going, here's one of them and they're doing something completely different. Mm, and now for something completely different. Yeah, yeah. It sounds a bit just like fan service for the sake of it. It's like, what haven't we done yet? Well, they say it's not fan service, but I don't feel like there were fans, you know, really yeah. desperate to get the further adventures of the one guy from the Satan Pit. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I can only assume that there's someone on the Big Fish creative team who was really, who just had this idea and really liked that story and was really enthusiastic about it. Or yeah. either that, or that these this cast member was kind of eager to come back and do something in the world of Doctor Who. Either way, I can only assume it's some kind of passion project rather than pure fan service. In which case, that's really cool for whoever is, you know, helming this project. Yeah, I'm just kind of surprised that it exists. I'm not completely opposed to it, it's just surprising. Yeah, yeah it's something that's unlikely, but it's unlikely because I don't know who's asking for it. But... Um... Things that people are asking for is who is going to be the next Doctor Harry? And I don't know if you remember, I think two weeks ago we spoke about the fact that Noel Clark, a.k.a. Mickey Smith, had been rumoured and his name was sort of in the hat of people to replace Jodie Whittaker. Do you remember that? Yes, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, well, now talking to um, Good Morning Britain, he admits that um, those comments have been taken a little bit um, out of context he says I don't think uh, that is true at all occasionally I'll bump into some of some of the doctors who are friends of mine and I'll post a picture with them and I think people get a bit excited I was asked in an interview would I ever consider it like any normal human I said I would consider it and then think um, yeah and then basically that he just said he would consider it but he said, I'll put it out there. I will also consider James Bond and any Marvel character they want to give me if that's what people keep doing every time I say something. Mm. So I feel like this is pretty much uh, Noel's way of saying, you know, any actor when offered a huge role would obviously be eager to take it. But I yeah. feel like this kind of pretty much confirms that he hasn't been in any talks and that it was yeah. kind of an entirely speculative uh, response. Yeah. What do you think that the, sorry, what do you think to that though of former companions taking up the lead role as, as the doctor? It's an interesting one because for the most part, supporting characters on Doctor Who, 
playing a supporting character doesn't really exclude you from playing a Doctor. Obviously, both Colin Baker and Peter Capaldi had supporting roles in Doctor Who before taking the mantle of the Doctor themselves. Yeah. Where that starts to bring up questions is the area of companions and then more significant characters such as, say, the Brigadier or the Master. And I feel like if you've played a character such as that, that's pretty much you making your mark and your stamp on Doctor Who mm-hmm. and Doctor Who's legacy quite definitively. And it does start to get to a questionable area of whether or not, after playing that, you've played a role too iconic within the world of Doctor Who to then play the Doctor themselves. What about Noel Clarke um, in that respect? Because I know we're big fans of Mickey and Jackie and the whole Tyler group. Um, on a personal side, I feel like if Noel were to play the, do- uh, play the Doctor, it would take away from the role that he once had as Mickey and the importance of that. That is true. I feel like it would be impossible to go, if Noel were to play the Doctor, it would be impossible to go back to the role of Mickey without thinking about it was it within the framework of the actor who went on to play the 14th Doctor. Yeah. And yeah. And I feel like Mickey, especially, you know, that era of Doctor Who is still so popular. And Mickey is still, I mean, I can only assume he's a very popular character. Mm. Um, the show would have to address that. The show couldn't just cast yeah. a companion from a popular era of the show in the role of the Doctor without addressing the fact that they look just like a former companion. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I like, I was, I was trying to think of an example then, but like, even when Capaldi was cast as a Doctor, they referenced the fact that he had been inducted before within the show. And then I'm thinking of other companions. I know it's maybe not the best topical example, but the actor who played Adam, and I know that actor is, you know, not very well looked upon for various reasons right now. But just as that, as an example, the character of Adam, even though he was only in two or three episodes, even if you were to bring an actor who had been in two or three episodes before back as the Doctor, I feel like fans would go, I can't... Because Doctor Who fans are so intense with the actors and the people involved in it. It's like, who who's the act- actor who played um, Sally Sparrow in Blink? Carrie, is it Carrie Mulligan, I want to say? Was it Carrie Mulligan? I don't think it was Carrie Mulligan. I'm pretty sure. Well, no. uh, let me just have a quick look. I mean, I, I Carrie Mulligan has obviously been in the spotlight lately because she was nominated. Was she nominated for Best Actress for not yeah, it's, the it, Young Woman? Uh, Carrie Mulligan, yeah, played Sally Sparrow in Blue. Yeah. Was it actually Carrie Mulligan? Yeah, yeah you would have no remembered. Way! Yeah. I didn't know that was Carrie Mulligan. But like, get out of here! But even like Sally Sparrow, like she had that one episode, and even though it's an iconic episode, you couldn't then cast Carrie Mulligan as the Doctor. That said, now I've said Oscar it. Oscar nominated Carrie Mulligan was in Blink. What the hell? <laughs> I didn't realize that. That's crazy. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think I've, I, I personally enjoy it when we get actors and actors. Uh, sorry, actors who haven't been in Doctor Who before. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like. Um, I feel like, like you said, I don't think there's any other franchise in which the casting of actors is scrutinised quite so much as it is in Doctor Who. And, you know, the reason for that is that obviously kind of an integral part of the show's identity is that the main character is recast every few few years. Um, And it is, yeah, Mm. it's not something I really thought about, but it's true. And like you said, kind of Capaldi, they kind of acknowledge the fact that the actor playing him 
have been a character before. And that's one of the things I actually really liked about uh, Capaldi's era. Like, like they acknowledged that and that they actually used that and said, the fact I look like someone who I've saved before is this message and it's a reminder that I should help people. Yeah. So I feel like if they were to recast the Doctor as um, Noel Clark, they'd kind of have to do a similar thing and be like, I look like Mickey to remind myself, like maybe I should not dismiss people as being less than I myself like as idiots. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking more kind of the whole, you know, Mickey the idiot yeah, thing yeah, that yeah. Uh, Exxon went through. Maybe a thing of like, this is, a, I look like this as a reminder that I should value humans on an yeah. equal level to myself or something, which yeah. could actually be a very cool kind of arc for the Doctor. Yeah, um, talking of people who could play the Doctor, a fan favourite that we've thrown around recently is Ollie Alexandra. Now, Harry... Alexander. Ha- Alexandra, it's E-R, isn't it? Ollie Alexandra. Yeah, you said, you said Alexandra. Uh, you always said Alexandra, but it's actually it? Alexander. Alexander. It's Ollie right, Alexander, anyway. yeah. Ollie, Ollie, Ollie. Um, it doesn't Ollie, look. Ollie. It doesn't look like he is going to be taking up the role of the Doctor anytime soon. Um, appearing on Tuesday, the 20th of April's The One Show, um, he was asked by host Alex Jones about the rumours that are circling that he might be joining Doctor Who. Um, he responded with, do you think if I was, I would tell you? Uh, to which he then said, um, where Ollie said that he would love to join Doctor Who, the Doctor Who cast, but admitted um, that it's not on the cards anytime soon. I would love to, what an amazing role that would be, but it's not happening, I don't think, anytime soon. Oh, honestly, <laughs> that's kind of a shame because of all the kind of prominent rumours, Ollie Alexander is the one I think I was probably the most behind. Yeah. And I think, yeah. I think especially people... after watching It's a Sin, he's he's great. He, yeah, and people... I do think he would have been great as the doctor. So that is a bit of a loss, honestly. People will say that, um, oh, he's just saying it, he's just saying it. But what what I think we've often found is that when people say it's not on the cars and don't get your hopes up, um, usually does mean a solid no. Because yeah. normally they give some. Yeah. Oh, you'll have to wait and see. Oh, I'm not allowed to say. Or oh, I'm. I don't know. I don't. You or know, like, oh, like, I would love the opportunity if yeah. it. Yeah. But the fact is that I would love to, but it's. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, that's pretty much a deconfirmation. Which then does All also right. then make me think, is, is Jody actually leaving anyway if he was such a prominent candidate to take over? Is, is Jody just going to hang that's around a little bit longer? The, the longer this goes on, the more I'm trying to think that Jody will just stay on for a fourth series. Yeah. Um, so talking of returning to... Well, I'm not talking about returning to Doctor Who at all, but we've had a very sort of... Doctor Who casting heavy episode. So let's jump straight back onto that. I don't know what I'm on about here. Doctor Who Time Fracture. They've just done a very, very exciting tweet. Now, Harry, you're not 100% sure what Doctor Who Time Fracture is, are you? I'm not. Is that like one of those um, escape room experiences or am I completely wrong? Okay, so I'll read you the synopsis of Doctor Who Time Fracture from their website. Doctor Who Time Fracture is a groundbreaking, immersive, theatrical experience plunges you into the incredible universe of Doctor Who. 1940, at the height of the Blitz, a weapon of unknown origin destroys a small corner of Mayfair and simultaneously opens a rift in space and time. For decades, Unit have fought under... uh, For decades, Unit have fought 
undetected to protect the people of Earth from a danger from the dangers it poses, weakened and beaten back to the fractures multiplied. Uh, uh, yeah, basically the fractures. You know, the fought it back. It's now uh, it's now got a bit a wall, I suppose. Uh, from the producer and then from the producers of Immersive Everywhere. Have you ever heard of them, Harry? You're a theatre guy. I don't think I have. No. The creative minds behind London's longest running and acclaimed immersive theatre production, The Great Gatsby, an official licence by BBC Studios, Doctor Time Fracture, will welcome its first unit recruits to HQ in June, in, in spring 2021. So this is an immersive theatre um, experience. Now, as a theatre nerd, okay. Harry, what is immersive theatre? Immersive theatre is um, kind of... Um, my understanding of it only goes as far as kind of prominent examples such as punch drunk so forgive me if this lacks detail but it's kind of instead of you the audience being kind of sat on a seat and watching the theater unfold in front of them it usually takes kind of a unconventional location for theater and the audience kind of walks through these different kind of vignettes and scenes and sometimes directly engages and interacts with them and with the cast members um and through walking through this they kind of they experience kind of a full theatrical story all right cool so the reason we're bringing this up because most doctor who fans will know about this but the reason we're bringing it back up is that the doctor who time fracture twitter account tweeted two very exciting photos confirming the return of two new who sort of new who um, classic characters that will be involved in Doctor Who Time Fracture. Now, uh, I know a lot of fans will be excited about this, so I will just say that the chances of you turning up to Doctor Who Time Fracture and these characters played by these actors being there is very unlikely. I believe that it's just going to be green screen footage that will be shown as part of the experience. And these two characters are David Bradley's first Doctor, um, first seen in Adventure of Space and Time in 2013 and then again in 2017's um, Twice Upon a Time and the return of uh, the return again of John Barrowman as Captain Jack Harkness uh, what do you want to say about this Harry? I think it's very very cool uh, David Bradley I'm a big fan of David Bradley and mm. all of his work which there is a lot of um, seeing him getting to work more with the first Doctor I think is very cool and it's kind of cool to see that role and him in that role starting to become a bit more of a main stay within Doctor Who Media and again it's very promising to see John Barrowman back again as Captain Jack and it kind of hopefully kind of feeds into that hope that you have that Captain Jack kind of becomes a Brigadier style recurring character within the show yeah. he's starting to have kind of appearances outside of that in the role Two so things. I think it's still very good. Yeah, two things. Um, this week there have been further rumours that John Barrowman will return to Doctor Who series, whatever the next series is, because some concepts out of an upcoming Doctor Who comic leaked online that involved Captain Jack, um, and that comic was a direct tie-in with one of the episodes of the next series. And the second thing is, could this be a really cool meeting of Captain Jack and the First Doctor? I That would be interesting. That would I be mean, cool. I you've not seen footage of them on the green screen together, no. so I'm inclined to believe that it would be that their segments are maybe being filmed separately and they're two separate parts of the yeah. experience, and that kind of 
I imagine you'd see them on a screen and be just them, similar to how you see it in, like, say, like the line for a theme park ride. They often get like actors to yeah. do stuff for that. Like, top example of my head is like Christopher Lloyd uh, recorded a bunch of stuff for the line for the Back to the Future ride at yeah. Universal back in the day. And also, so I imagine it could Simpsons be something ride. along those lines in the Simpsons ride as well. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Are you? Uh, sorry, go on. We talked about to, Did you go? You went to Universal, right? Yeah, I went when I was about seven or eight. Um, was so the, it was the Back to the Future ride already replaced then? It, the, it was the Simpsons, Simpsons ride, ride um, and I was very, very, very excited for the Simpsons ride. And the, the Christopher Lloyd cameo in the queue was exciting, but I wasn't as much. I bet. A, did you know about the Back to the Future ride at the time? Uh, I knew I knew it had been replaced by the Simpsons ride, but at the same time, I wasn't totally as a Back to the Future nerd as I am now. That said, there's a fun story okay. where I saw the screen use DeLorean and I just left my parents at the age of seven. I just walked, <laughs> walked across it. But anyway, um, the, my understanding is that Doctor Who Time Fracture will um, have different sort of storylines that you can follow, almost like um, an escape room sort of thing. Almost like, I don't know if anybody has ever done okay. a crystal maze in Manchester. That's amazing. Definitely go out and set up there. But you never guarantee the same thing twice. You know, like Star Tours and stuff like that at Disney World. Mm. And these sort of immersive um, theme um, theme park rides. Uh, so I think that you might not even be guaranteed a John Barrowman cameo on your first appearance there, your first time there, you might get a David Bradley. And in this video that they are, I keep saying tomorrow, um, the day you are listening to this podcast, if you're listening to this on Tuesday the 27th of April, the video is probably out or some photos or they've released something. Um, and we've probably got a video coming up on that shortly as well. But it's exciting, right? It's cool. It's very cool. Um, I, It's always cool to kind of see these prominent actors just doing stuff outside of um, the main show. And it kind of makes it feel, in a way, like these characters are less or so kind of a special cameo and more kind of a common reoccurrence and part of the furniture almost, which I, for a character like Captain Jack, I kind of like that. I kind of yeah. prefer his character being something that is kind of just like a common mainstay and kind of a, something that kind of keeps the show just like a th- thread throughout, which is weird because obviously one of the great things out of Doctor Who is a- its ability to change. But at the same time, it's cool to have recurring characters such as the Brigadier or John Byron that kind of keep things grounded and kind of bring you back home and kind of yeah. help put things into perspective. Yeah. So I quite like that kind of cushy reoccurrence. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So depending on when this podcast comes out and depending on when, pardon me, depending on when that video from Doctor Who Time Fracture comes out as well, Depends on if we'll talk about it. You might have to wait till next week, but I'm sure that we can find some time to talk about um, if there's anything massively exciting in there that we can talk about. But um, Harry, do you want to do that thing that where we oh, is, it, is it the Shakespeare Code this week? Is it is that this week or was that last week? It is. It is. Are you sure? Uh, I think it did. No, last week. Last week was Smith and Jones. Okay. Because we had a whole kerfuffle. Uh, you know, Tim. Um, Maybe it's the same bit I was going to use last week before we realized to make a mistake. Um, you know, um, you know how in my uh, MA I'm like I have to learn how to like do scripts and stuff and act. Yeah. Well, I've been working with Shakespeare, and I have to say, like Shakespeare's language, it's really like difficult. Like, it's nothing like the way that we talk nowadays. The way it's written, it's not written like normal human speech. It's like got all these speech patterns, and I am big pentameter, yeah. and it's almost written like. 
is its own code, like a sort of like Shakespeare's oh no, code, like, like a Shakespeare code. Yeah. Speaking of the Shakespeare code. I think that was one of the better ones. That's one of the better ones. Um, enjoy us talking about the Shakespeare Code, guys. Stick around to the end for some news or, or whatever on how to follow us and keep up to date. If you are listening on Google Podcasts, hello and welcome, and um, apologies for, <laughs> for, for this one. And um, go back. You'll I thought it was a, a good one. I like this one. I like this one. See you later, guys. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Humans are better in one respect. You are better at subscribing. Seek, locate, subscribe. What's the point in having you all? Shakespeare did die. No, Shakespeare didn't die. Shakespeare, did. Shakespeare didn't die. No, Shakespeare didn't die. Woo! Woo! Yeah, Shakespeare's alive, baby. Thanks to Doctor Who series three, episode two, which is called what? Harry? The Shakespeare Code by Gareth Roberts. Yeah. Uh, what What's he done previously? The name rings a bell. Gareth Roberts. Um, I don't really know any of his writing work beyond uh, Doctor Who. He does quite a handful of Doctor Who episodes down the line, I believe, but uh, this is his first. I'm just having a... Because I know, I think Gareth Roberts might be a semi-controversial writer, but we're, I just want to say we're not... Um, you know, we're just curious to see what he's wrote before he's done this, because the name does ring a bell, but for the life of me, I cannot put my finger on what yeah. that was. Uh, oh, no, the Shakespeare Code was his first, uh, and then there's several after that. Yeah, like you said, yeah, Gareth Roberts, I believe, has done and said some highly, highly controversial things in the past. But I think for the sake of this podcast, it's probably best that we focus on this episode kind of in isolation. Yeah, yeah, we're not, you know, we're not ignorant to the fact that he's said stuff in the past. But, you know, the writing for this episode especially isn't something we're particularly going to focus on. Um, What I do want to focus on is the set that they have made for $15.99. Um, I want to say it's a studio set that they've made up, but I know when we spoke about the Unicorn and the Wasp, you mentioned about the BBC's costume department. Uh, the Unicorn and the Wasp. Yes, um, um, the Unicorn and the Wasp. The, uh, what's it called? The Unquiet Dead. The Unquiet Dead, yes. Um, that, I was just saying kind of the advantage that Doctor Who has being a BBC production is that obviously one of the things the BBC is best known for is these really high budget uh, historical period pieces, these historical dramas. And obviously when it comes to a Doctor Who historical, they have that whole archive of different set dressings and uh, costumes and potentially even bits of sets that they can kind of lift and then use in Doctor Who to make these really authentic, really high-quality-looking historicals. I think that, amongst many things, is probably one of the reasons why, as a kid, I always remember the historicals always being my favourite to watch. Yeah. Because you just could really immerse yourself in that period. Yeah, I do like the historical ones. I don't like... I think I prefer the Earth stories and the historical stories more than I prefer we're on a spaceship or we're on a planet, which is strange because it's a sci-fi programme, but... I prefer it when there is sci-fi elements within a, an almost normal story. So it is Shakespeare, but there are witches. It is uh, Charles Dickens, but there is ghosts. And it is 
sci-fi ghost. It's not just a ghost. Do you know what I mean? No, absolutely. And I, I agree that I feel like the thing that makes Doctor Who special is despite the fact it can go anywhere and any time, um, there's always been a focus on kind of education and history. Like when the show was made, it was made with the intention of it being this kind of um, edutainment program that would be entertaining for kids, but would also educate them. That's why the first companions were a science teacher and a history teacher. And for me, this episode was actually very reminiscent of that. Like when the Doctor and Martha first step out of the TARDIS into that great looking uh, Elizabethan street, Martha's asking all these questions about the time period and David as the doctor is being almost kind of a teacher in that scene, kind of educating you and showing you about this period. And yeah. for me, that was something which I found really cool. Yeah. You mentioned it there that they, you know, Martha steps out and she asks questions about the time period. And one thing that is mentioned for one of the first times in new who, especially is that Martha is the first companion of color in doctor who the first like proper Centric. You know, we had Mickey um, last series, who's kind of a side character, but to be actual the Doctor Who girl, as it were. And it just touched on that throughout the episode with Shakespeare referring to Martha as various phrases and codes. But it is also sort of done in sort of a jovial way, which wasn't too sure about because he says this stuff about Martha and then she questions it and he says, well, aren't we allowed to say that anymore? Which has never been more relevant than ever before. I think now the amount of stuff that. Mm. A lot of times where I'm ever on Twitter, you know, the boomers complaining that they can't say um, offensive words anymore. Um, but from my knowledge, they don't really touch on that much throughout the series, do they? Uh, no, I believe it's something that is kind of brought up significantly in uh, human nature and family of blood. Yes. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. Yeah. But there's no... I would have liked maybe... A, I think Freema's... I could be so wrong here, but I know Freema has recently spoken about returning to the show and she would only return if there was some real serious character development for Martha, which, without spoiling anything, compared to Rose, Martha doesn't change that much from what I can remember. She goes on some really big adventures towards the end of the series, but when she leaves the... T- we'll get to it, we'll get to it. Um, I'm Yeah, because I'm inclined to disagree with that. I feel like Martha while at points during this series perhaps gets in a bit of a rut actually post series three i think she really develops and becomes much more fleshed out and independent as a character which i think is really cool kind of arguably more so in rose because we get to see it yeah um dean lennox kelly who people will probably know best from shameless um and won't know at all from appearing on this podcast because he never came on we were so close to getting him on this podcast but we couldn't arrange a date um he plays Shakespeare, and he's great at it. Um, as a as a drama nut yourself, Harry, how is Dean Lennox Kelly's Shakespeare? Well, I'll be the first to admit that I've honestly not seen that many on-screen depictions of Shakespeare. I know there's stuff like David Mitchell and Upstart Crow, which I should probably get around to checking out. Have you not seen Because I know you're a big fan. I'm not seen I know you're a big fan, aren't you? I really like it. I really, really like it, yeah. It's um, Ben mm. Elton, I want to say who um co-writer of Blackadder and Mr. Bean and all that. And then with David Mitchell's wittiness, it is great. Apologies if you can hear my change in my pocket. I'm just taking it out. Sorry, Harry, go on. Yeah, but I've not seen stuff like that or Shakespeare in Love. So I'm personally very open to different interpretations of Shakespeare and how it could be portrayed because historically, we obviously 
know his work and a few biographical facts, but we don't know a ton about who he was as a person. And yeah. I really like that this uh, depiction, instead of leaning into kind of the mythos and him being this living legend, really kind of ground him. They really, you know, they have him throwing, you know, having a back and forth with the audience. We show him flirting with Martha. We show him drinking. Yeah. And it really humanizes him, but in a way that doesn't just kind of degrade this figure and mock him because at the same time, it's also shown that he is incredibly, incredibly smart, which he was, you know, Shakespeare's a genius, one of the greatest, if not the greatest living writer in the English language at the very least. And it doesn't shy away from that. It doesn't just throw that away for a cheap gag. It's a really well-rounded depiction of Shakespeare, which I was very pleasantly surprised to see returning for this episode. Yeah. Um, Talking of Shakespeare, do we have Shakespeare to thank for the MCU? Because it is my understanding that he creates sequels. Um, that's something, uh, that's a new thing <laughs> I've never heard before. I mean, I don't know if sequels was a concept invented by Shakespeare. Very well could be. I mean, to my knowledge, the main kind of overarching narrative which was in Shakespeare's plays was the histories, you know, of all the different kings. Yeah. Um, which obviously, you know, there's overlap in those because when one dies, another takes its place and so on and so forth. Like like Doctor Who, when one dies, another one takes its place. It's all coming together. It's all coming together. <laughs> um, the prosthetics, prosthetics on those witch characters, the Carrionites... There is three Carrionites. There's two god-awful ugly ones and one lovely-looking, young, attractive one that flirts with David Tennant constantly throughout the episode. Um, the prosthetics on the ones that are meant to look like witches, what are your thoughts on that? Because I think it looks good, but there is something about it that just makes it look like a mask. I think what's partly the cause of that is that, obviously before we see them in their full forms, we see them in those kind of disguises where those witches are disguised as these, um, you know, attractive women, obviously without uh, the prosthetics. And so then when they're in prosthetics, we have the mental image of, we know what they actually look like underneath that. And because of that, we're much more aware of the mask. What did you think then to the Carrionite CGI? That was interesting. Um, the first time we saw it, when it was in the rehearsal, and it appears, I thought it was quite cool. I thought the way it moved was quite almost puppet-like. But then yeah. I thought, why didn't they actually make, say, a puppet and then superimpose that over? Yeah, because hmm. the CGI is not... The actual rendering of it doesn't look too good. But the concept behind it, I think, is good. Mm. It's just not I very think... well executed. Like you said, if they had got a puppet put on green screen, added some glow and some flame effects in Premiere Pro or whatever, it would have looked amazing. And what that I find crazy actually... now is that somebody listening to this probably will be able to do that on their laptop at home. So do it. Uh, <laughs> we need to get the uh, British equivalent of Corridor Digital, whoever they may be. To... Um, hallway Analog. Hallway analog. <laughs> Hello, we're hallway analog, and we're gonna react to some British special effects in it. Oh, this is Doctor Who, Doctor Who. 
<laughs> there is no British version of Wren. That name doesn't exist in British culture. I've never met anybody called Wren. Um, what's Reg? Reg. Oh, it's me, Reg. <laughs> um, last week we spoke about the blue suit of the Tenth Doctor. The first thing, the first time we saw the blue suit, he's back in the brown suit this week. Um, I didn't realize till he was back in the brown suit how good that brown suit is. I know last week I was instantly more favorable of the blue suit. I said it looks great. But the brown suit also looks great. And I think for the rest of the series, I'm going to be torn up on um, which one I think I like best. It's one of those things that's very similar to the actually watching the Doctors, where very often for me, my favorite suit or Doctor is the one I watched last. Yeah. Like when I was watching Eccleston, I was like, oh man, Eccleston's my favorite Doctor. And then we got to Ten, and I'm like, oh, Ten's so good though. And the same's going to happen when we get to Matt Smith. I know it. Yeah. Um, and it's the same with the suits. It's like, oh, the blue suit looks so sleek. It has the contrast. But then, oh, the brown suit's got the pinstripe, the, the creases. <laughs> I mean, I guess, you know, it's better than having one that you think is definitively superior than the other. Yeah. Um, two things. As you know, I've got two things to say. We'll go with Martha. What do you think of Martha's costume? Because this is the first time we really see Martha in what becomes an iconic costume, her, her action figure costume, so to speak, which is jeans and a red leather jacket i you know you know that i'm impartial to a red leather jacket um <laughs> that's true that's true <laughs> doing your martha cosplay in your spare time yeah uh, for context i own a red leather jacket it's probably one of my favorite items that i own like i'm not a very materialistic person but when it comes to like the material goods i own that's up there like i like that more than like something like my phone or whatever yeah like, I love that jacket. Um, and I love leather jackets, man. Leather jackets are great. Eccleston's one, Martha's one. I think it's cool. I think. Name one more leather jacket in Dot Two. Name one more leather jacket in Dot Two. Um, oh, oh, heck. <laughs> there will be one. There will be one. Um, you can't move on until you've said it. Wait, is there a third one? Isn't that I'm forgetting? A really obvious third leather jacket in Doctor Who. Does Jack ever wear one? I don't think he does. Oh, no, no Jack wears an army coat. Yeah, he two. wears leather trousers at one point. He does. Um, I, I don't have an opinion on leather trousers. I've never tried them out myself. Liar. Um, <laughs> my, next, <laughs> my next point is, I put this on Twitter the other day, and I said, I love Jodie's costume, I think it's really great for her character, but I do feel that if whoever, whatever they do with the 14th Doctor, they should strip it down and go back to basics like they did with Chris, because I run the risk of that it gets too quirky and too characteristic, and we end up like we did with Colin uh, with the 6th Doctor. Um, what are your thoughts on this? I found it very interesting because to me... Jodie's costume is exactly that, a simplification. If you compare it to the costumes that came before her, such as Matt Smith's second costume with a coat, with the waistcoat, a jig and everything, and then Capaldi's kind of, I don't want to say magician-y, but you know what I mean? With yeah. like the big, again, overcoat, waistcoat and all that. And then he, Capaldi had like so many costume changes. Jodie for me really was a bringing it back down to basics, you know, and I remember them kind of really putting an emphasis on kind of how practical that costume was, you know, like the coat and the, 
and the trousers have pockets for ease to put things in. Yeah. It's kind of got the boots for kind of all terrain. I really like Joey's costume, and I don't feel like that is over-designed or overly quirky. I feel like it's very clean and stylish and fresh out um lacking any kind of personality and i kind of hope that that's forward are you just saying that because your avatar for this channel is jodie whittaker's costume now i really like the jodie costume i think it's a great costume i actually prefer the simpler costumes like the jodie costume is great i think matt smith's first costume i don't know if this is a hot take but i think the tweed jacket is better than the overcoat Uh, like, no way. We'll do a no we'll way. do a costume no, we'll ranking down, we'll the, down the line. At some, point, okay, at some point, we're gonna do a Doctor Who costume ranking. Yeah, we have to because okay. we're clearly disagreeing. All all the tent suits, all, even including the series six overcoat, which was really weird. Yeah, um, I love seeing the Doctor give Shakespeare his own quotes back to him that he hasn't written yet. Hmm. Did uh, Eccleston do that with Charles Dickens, or is that something new for this episode? I imagine he did. He must have said something. Because I don't know how, as a writer, sure. you wouldn't be tempted to write that in. I know there's a bit There's a bit that I love in The Unquiet Dead, and I probably mentioned it the other day, where Dickens says, instead of saying, what the Dickens, he says, what the Shakespeare. And they should have had Shakespeare. I know they couldn't have had Shakespeare in this, say, what the Dickens, because Dickens wasn't around. But if they could have worked something like that in where Shakespeare said, what the... And harken back to an even earlier writer before Shakespeare, that would have been great. I'm trying to think who that would be. Like, This is where my um, lack of knowledge of um, old English writers really starts to show. I should get my yeah. brother on. Uh, he knows this kind of thing. Maybe like, uh, what, the, what the Homer, like, is in the Greek... <laughs> Homer. Yeah. Um, what do you think then to that? There's sort of one really important scene in this that I feel not a lot of people talk about, and it's the bedroom scene between the Doctor and Martha, where they are told they have to share the same bedroom and the same bed, and it becomes very clear that... I don't know if it is clear that the, that Martha has feelings for the Doctor in this episode. It doesn't show too much, but in that scene, or I hate to say it, but in that scene, I got more vibes from Martha that she was after a quick one night thing rather than she fancied him, if you see what I mean. It was more like, oh, look at us, we're in the same bed. It's definitely true that later down the line, it kind of becomes very clear that Martha's feelings are of a more romantic sense of more, uh, uh, you know, she says that she loves the doctor. But yeah, I am inclined to agree that, yeah, I feel like Martha currently, she's being very, you know, Flirtatious, and I think this is kind of she's been told this is one trip, so she's thinking, Oh, yeah, a bit of a fun fling in yeah. uh Shakespearean times. Apologies, my alarm went off on my phone. Um, but the doctor in that scene, the way he's just oblivious to it all, I sort of found that hard to sort of believe a little bit because I thought, Well, surely he must be able to see it. Yeah, I mean, I feel that. The Tenth Doctor has been shown to be very much a romantic, you know, and he doesn't shy away from being a romantic, you know, snogging Madame Pompadour, flirting with Rose. I think he flirted with Rose a lot. I feel like, I don't know, I feel like this is going to be putting down the Tenth Doctor as a character, but I feel like he kind of, 
is aware of how Martha feels in that in that scene and that situation, and he's almost just taking advantage of that and that company yeah to kind of have someone to listen to him you know lament about rose yeah uh, that's something that some people theories the fact that he takes so long to get over rose yeah and this is kind of like the first prime example that people point to for that yeah. how do you feel about that uh doesn't really bother me so much now I can't really remember too much about Series 4, but if he's still banging on about her in Series 4, I would be like, oh, get over it. Obviously, knowing what comes in Series 4, it would be okay to sort of mm. foreshadow that. But I feel like to mention her a lot in this series and then foreshadow her in the next, it can be too intense. Maybe a series in between where there is nothing or just nothing in this series would have worked perhaps better. If he'd been perhaps more private about Rose, yeah, perhaps not been so quick to reveal, yeah, her. definitely. Um, why didn't they just sleep in the TARDIS? What was that? Sorry, does the TARDIS have a bed in it? Well, it must because do. I know that, stage. like, it does when Matt Smith has it because he gives, yeah, well, yeah, because Jack has Jack. In the most recent appearance of Captain Jackie, mentions that he used to have a, a bedroom and a bar, and Rory and Amy say that they have bunk beds. This is the one thing about the TARDIS design that always confuses me. Like, where, how do you get to these other rooms? Like, <laughs> um, I've asked second TARDIS and compile these TARDIS where you can see, you know, corridors leading to different rooms. This. There's no doors other than the entrance and exit. How, how do you get these other rooms? Is there, is there like just a staircase or a door just off screen? It must be. It must be. I wish I would. Can you imagine if, like, in a comic, they just revealed what the other side of the TARDIS looked like? How great would that be? It's all these doors yeah. and staircases. That would be great. There's a stairway to get to that dressing room from the Christmas invasion. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if you would have picked up on this, but. The guy who is in the mental hospital is Matt King, who is super hands in Peep Show, um, a sitcom I know I've mentioned several times. David Mitchell, also from Peep Show, also plays Shakespeare in Upstart Crow. Um, I just thought I should mention it. I know there's no conversation to be had about that. I just like Peep Show and I like Matt King. So I thought I would mention that as a fact. It's all connected, isn't it? It's all British TV. It's all bloody connected. It's all Another the thing. same show. Another thing that I'm sure you noticed when you were watching it, that I know it's coming. My face lights up every time the Tenth Doctor mentions and recalls the events to Martha of my favourite movie, Back to the Future. When he just turns yes. out Back to the Future, and he starts talking about Martin McFly. Man, that's like they're, they're my two favourite things in this world, uh, Doctor Who and Back to the Future. And when they combine... I love it. How do you feel about the fact that the Doctor is a fan of Back to the Future? And also, how do you feel about that sort of lazy storytelling where they go, you know that other thing that did it? That's what we're doing here, like they did in Endgame. Well, in Endgame, they kind of just say, no, it's not like Back to the Future. It's like this, our own thing. This, I feel like 
it works here. I can't exactly remember the context that she brings up Back to the Future, but I remember when watching is like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And the fact that the Doctor likes Back to the Future, that makes sense. Like, yeah. I believe, at least the 10th Doctor. I couldn't say if, like, say, Capaldi likes Back to the Future. No. Um, if his Doctor likes it. But I can see the 10th Doctor being a fan. And yet, he's obviously a fan of pop culture because he also several times refers to Harry Potter in this. He does, doesn't he? Yeah. It does. Where where else does he refer to Harry Potter? It refers to it in this one. What's the other one? It's both. He refers to it twice in this episode. Oh, he does, doesn't he? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. He says it? like. Sorry, go on. First, he mentions how at the end of the seventh book he cried, which obviously was reference to the fact that seventh book hadn't come out yet, and also it was probably tight, um, aged considered very very well, considering that lots of people cried at the last Harry Potter book. That's my fire alarm. Don't worry, it's not, it's just a drill. Are you sure? I thought it's just a drill. <laughs> this is a regular... It's, it's nine o'clock at night. It's just a drill. At nine o'clock at night? It's going to go off at any second. And if it doesn't, then that means there's an actual fire and I'll have to leave. <laughs> Imagine! Harry, your, your place could be on fire. You should probably disappear for a little yeah, bit. I am going to uh, take off. If leave this on. Leave stop, this on. Yeah, leave us on. If one comes turns off, I'll head back. Okay. Hi, Tim. Yeah, everything's fine. Uh, turns out that nothing was burning. Oh, oh well. Um, we talked about Bats of Future. Um, I want to talk about the physical comedy in this episode because David gets some really good he gets a really good scene in which one of his hearts stops working and uh, one of his hearts stops working yeah so Martha has to sort of beat him up a little bit smack him around to get it working and something like you said last week is that you think David was maybe more keen on more physical comedy aspects in this series because we get the barefoot on the moon aspect in last week we get this this week um what what are your thoughts on this? Um, I think the thing that always stands out to me is when he says, this is what be, having one heart is like, how do people cope? Which just makes me really wonder what the experience of being a time lord is and why they need two hearts to be constantly pumping blood through their bodies. Like, I, I'm no biologist. Does, does blood go to the brain? It just goes to the brain, right? I don't want to say yes or like no. Maybe time lord like an idiot either way. <laughs> Neither do I. Like I'm just thinking, like maybe like a time lord so smart that they need they need more blood pumping through their system to keep up with them and how fast they are at thinking and reacting. Because I feel like time lords are meant to be biologically a like more advanced um, race yeah. than humans. Even though I, he is half human, is he? Is that canon? I recently watched I a TV like movie. A we'll do a video on that shortly, but uh, we'll save that. There's a tease. Come yeah. back to the TV movie when we do that. Um, I'm all out of notes. Out of notes. No notes. Anything you've got to say about the Shakespeare Code that we haven't touched on already, Harry? Let's see. I mean, obviously, the ending with Queen Elizabeth the First. Oh yeah. That's great, isn't it? At the time, that meant nothing really, but now knowing that that gets mm. resolved and where, when, it, and when and where it gets resolved is very fun. 
It is very fun. And it's in, I mean, it's interesting that that was, of all things, that from this episode was picked up down the line. Yeah. Um, I'm glad it was. I guess that's the great thing about uh, Doctor Who and it being so uh, timey-wimey, yeah. which is that um, things that happen to the show way in the future can change the way you watch the show in the past. Yeah. I hope in the 60th, yeah. if David returns for the if David returns for the 60th, when David returns for the 60th, I would, I'd love it if they could revisit that. So he's doing something else, and Queen Elizabeth turns up and is still pissed off with him, <laughs> or maybe just a different. I love royal. the fact he's that he's just he... going through the royal family. I love the fact that you say when David is in the 60th, because there's no doubt in your mind that David Tennant is going to be in the 60th. There's no doubt in my mind that they will ask him. I've no doubt in my mind either. I feel like David will be in his 60th. I feel like because that would be like his last real chance to convincingly reprise the role of the Doctor, unless he ages like insanely well. Or he does the human Doctor on Parallel Earth. Oh yeah, 10-2. Yeah. Ten but two I feel like people don't... People... <laughs> I don't feel like... I don't feel like people really want to see... Tend to though. I don't know if that's a controversial thing to say, but I feel like people don't really have a connection to that human version of the Doctor. The Doctor that we followed is the Doctor. He's the Wish Doctor. He's, you can't get the real Doctor, so you get one off Wish, and that is Ten Two Doctor. The Wish dot com <laughs> discount Doctor. Yeah, but you know he's he's off living with Rose in a house somewhere. I mean, this is this is going very far ahead, but. Maybe we'll spend the weird speculation about what Tentu has done with his life to when we get to that episode. Um, anything else, Harry? Anything else? Um, Expelliarmus. <laughs> Very good. Sound for the quiz! You, you, not me. I hate being patient. Patience is for wimps. Oh, it's a quiz! Oh, Jesus. Three questions. A million points each this week. So, big, big points. Big points. When the Doctor says that Martha can tell everybody when she goes back home that she's seen that she has seen Shakespeare, Martha says if she were to do that, she would be what? Jeez. Oh, I remember this line. Uh, it says I clearly don't. Uh... Did she say she'd be institutionalised? Oh, that is so close, but I'm afraid I cannot give you that. The correct what answer did she... is sectioned. Ah! Oh! <laughs> I do apologise. I knew uh, it was something question. about, you know, being called crazy. Yeah. Next question is, when Shakespeare appears on stage, what are his first words exactly? Is it... Shut up? Shut your big fat mouths. Oh! How many points did I say they were worth each? A million. A million. So you could be about to get one million points. How many lines are in a sonnet? Uh, fourteen. Yeah, million points. But unfortunately, this is whose line is it anyway? Influence. So the points don't matter. <laughs> Do you like whose oh. line is it anyway? 
Um, I've never watched it. <gasps> oh, you should, man. I was watching it today with my dad, laughing our heads off. Brilliant, one of the best shows ever. Anything to recommend, Harold? Before I go, I just want to tell you you were fantastic. Um, let me see. Do I have anything to recommend? Fire safety. Yeah, I recommend fire safety. Um, even in student accommodation, if you hear that fire alarm go off, head out of the room. I have a certificate in fire safety. Well, the place where I used to work, I had to do a fire safety course, and I passed. And I was one of like the building's fire. Like if there was ever a fire, it was my responsibility to make sure everybody in the department that I worked at got out of the building safely. Hmm. I was quite annoyed there was never a fire. I never got to really enhance my skills. So let's hope there's never a fire now. I don't know if that if that's if that title carries on. Do hmm. I still hold that title? If there's a fire there now, do I have to go back and save everybody? I mean, I feel like if you were there, you would be qualified to save everybody. Hmm. Oh, so if I went back and visited, there's an obligation. Like, Why didn't you save us? Yeah. Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> oh, Tim, we've been waiting for you. You could we, we we needed someone to save us for a while now. We've not got anyone else with a certificate, but now you're here, you can give help us out. I'm going to recommend something I haven't watched yet, but I'm going to watch after this. I'm going to watch Zack Snyder's Justice League at long last. Here it is, the greatest movie ever to be made. It's going to change cinema. Restore the Snyderverse. Hooray for Zack Snyder's Justice League. What if what if you come back next week and you're like, oh man, Snyder's Justice League wasn't actually that good? Well, for those listening, it's the 18th of March. It'll be a little while before you hear this, so the reviews will already be out. Um, I might do a video on it. I don't know. Check the channel. Maybe there's already a video on Snyder Cut. Probably not because it's not Doctor Who related. Why would we make a whole video about this? <laughs> um... I don't remember. I remember that you, when the original Justice League came out, you quite liked it, despite all the, you know, it yeah, not being. I think I did. Is, am I correct remembering that? I, well, I went with a friend and we enjoyed it because I think it's a movie you can enjoy, but it's not a good hmm. movie. Okay, I think I know what you mean. So, The Rise yeah. of Skywalker is a movie you can enjoy. It's not the best movie. And I think the fact that I haven't watched it... I've watched most of those DCE. I've watched Shazam since. I've watched Aquaman, Bears of Prey, Wonder Woman. I've watched them all since, but I've never bothered to go back and watch Justice League. I even own it, and I tried to watch it, yeah. and I fell asleep halfway through rewatching it, and I never bothered to go back. So that kind of tells you how, mm. uh, how interested I have been since. But um, I just want to say that the reason I'm excited to see Snyder's one isn't because I'm a Diehard Snyder, release the Snyder Cut fanboy. Um, but as a film student, I don't know about you, I find it so interesting and baffling that there was a four-hour movie made that was reduced to two hours by a director who reshot around 85% of the original movie. Because my understanding is, like, this this isn't the Snyder Cut. The Snyder Cut... Um, theoretically, was what the original Justice League movie was going to look like before they did the rewrites and the reshoots of Joss Whedon. This this isn't just all that old footage being brought back, given the special effects and cut together as Zach originally wanted. This is a different thing. This is an entirely new experience with 
like you said, a bunch of new stuff filmed and made and put together. This is Zack Snyder's Justice League. Yeah. Which in itself is a different entity to what the Snyder Cut would have been. Yeah, because the Snyder Cut, I suppose it depends how you classify the, the phrase Snyder Cut. This is Zack Snyder's cut of Justice League, but Snyder's original version of Justice League doesn't exist because he wasn't able to film it because... There were, so, uh, so we're going off track a little bit. From no, it was, it was, he'd filmed a whole thing. It was just the reshoots he wasn't around for. Yeah, well, the original thing is that they did Batman vs Superman, which was very dark, and then they originally had this idea for Justice League that was dark, and Warner Brothers said, no, you need to make it lighter because of the backlash from Batman vs Superman. So they did that. So that is the original Snyder Justice League. This is the original. This is the Snyder cut of the Warner Brothers version of Justice League that they allowed him to make that he never did finish making. Okay, I mean it's interesting. It's basically kind of a an experiment in what happens if we give one fi- filmmaker complete creative and studio control over a huge superhero blockbuster. Something which you know, no matter how much someone may enjoy the Marvel cinematic universe you have to admit none of those films are completely one person's vision they're always yeah. there's always committee involvement just for the set for the very least the sake of those films all being part of one cohesive universe yeah um but yeah i'm just excited to see what studio interference really does do um i should have really rewatched. Justice League before this, but um, I haven't had a chance. Mm. I'm gonna go watch. I think I've not seen either version. Yeah, I've not seen either version, but I want to watch the 2017 Justice League before I watch Zack Snyder's Justice League because I need that comparison. Yeah, because I feel like because Zack reshot a lot of stuff, I imagine that a lot of that stuff will be a direct response to what was in that 2017 cut. I feel like. I would like, I want that full context. I think you should watch it the other way around. I think you should watch Snyder's one first and then watch what we all saw. But then but I feel like then I'd have this impression of going to that one of okay, I've seen what the film was meant to be and now I'm seeing what the film was turned into, but actually because so much of this footage in the Zack Snyder cut is new and was filmed after that version, I feel like chronologically it makes more sense for me to watch the 2017 original yeah i don't think there is that much new footage as in that they shot new i think it's only around 20 percent, 17 percent no there's like there's all the jared letter stuff which was never going to be in the original there's uh, there's the aspect ratio which if the film had originally released without uh the reshoots it would never have been in this four by three ratio that it's going well, to be in now we'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see because i will we'll be watching it shortly and i will probably finish watching it around two o'clock in the effing morning it's going to be great all four hours and one minute of it <laughs> which i'm not looking forward What's to the one minute probably just Zack snyder probably no probably just someone at warner brothers the warner brothers um intern who runs their twitter going shut up you're gonna leave me alone now stop asking for this you've got it stop tweeting us all the time it's crazy isn't it just Hashtag how much influence released the the, the um the uh the, the the russell t davis cut hashtag release that the russell t davis cut of what life russell t davis got to end the show on his own terms in the way he wanted to that's true. Release the Colin Baker cut, then. Release the Colin Baker cut. Um, the Baker cut of what? 
Doctor Who, he was fired, man. Oh, so you want to see that the series, Sylvester's first series with Colin Baker. Um, anyway, let's wrap this up because I'm tired and I want to go and watch that movie now. Thank you for listening, guys. We've been doing the Shakespeare Code. My name is Tim Saxby. With me, as always, was Harry Murdoch. Round of applause for Harry Murdoch. Um, never doing that again. Follow us Why on Twitter, Bigger on the Inside, at Bigger on the Inside, Insta, Bigger on the Pod, YouTube.com, forward slash Bigger on the Inside, acastshows.acast.com, forward slash Bigger on the Inside. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Also, thank you for the Instagram uh, messages. Last week, we didn't have time to read them out. This week, I forgot. Um, so thank you very much there were some I know um, Amber you sent one in so thank you very much and I think uh, someone else God, whose name began with an L sent one in and you both enjoyed it but feel the episode is underrated so thanks for listening I'll say goodbye bye bye Harold you did not perish in flames this week congratulations would you like to say goodbye fare thee well oh is that a Shakespeare thing yeah, they sometimes say goodbye like that. You should shout it like you do when you say bye bye. Fairly well. <laughs> Did I stop? There we go. Oh, wait, what's going on? How do I stop? It? Make sure you subscribe to the official Bigger on the Inside podcast.